It has been 12,000 years since the last time we did an episode of Infinity Rewatch. And in that time, some stuff has gone down in the galaxy. I'm Andrew Fantasia. What's up? I'm Ryan J. Marvel. Hey, Ryan. How are you, sir? I missed you. It's been it, so long. I missed you too, man. I missed these. You know, these I are know. such... They're fun to do, but they're also nice check-ins for us. To just like, you know, it really has helped cemented our bond. And uh, I do miss them. And it's 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 kind of it's kind of interesting too because Marvel's slowing down a bit. So it's kind of like impacted how much we do this. Yes. Um, but yeah, we're back. We're doing it. We're doing it. It's been so long since Quantumania. You have a new home. Yep. This is your first podcast and your new home here, at least your first podcast here with me. Um, how are you loving it? No, this is this is my legit for first podcast in my new home uh in the it's in the setup it's amazing feeling i what i've always wanted is to have my own little space where i can like leave all my equipment set up to do streaming or or video work or whatever i want to do and i have that and it's in the nerdiest spot because all my stuff is up i just showed fantasia my marvel wall it's not perfect yet but it's it's definitely there. I think it's pretty perfect myself, but I, I don't know. Maybe that's just me, but I thought it was pretty sweet. It's looking great. Uh, you're looking great as always, sir. You too, and, my friend. Thank you. And you know what else looks great? What? Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. That was a good looking movie. <laughs> it was a gorgeous, gorgeous film. I mean, one thing that you can't, or sorry, one thing you can't discredit about, uh, or sorry, one thing that you should discredit about James Gunn is definitely his use of colors. He uses so much colors. All his all his Guardians movies just pop, especially for a movie that's in space with yeah. metal objects. He has a very colorful palette that he uses. God bless that man and his colors. And, you know, he's also, specifically for me and my weird tastes, he's doing the Lord's work because I love when movies have opening credits and when they actually show their damn title at the beginning of the movie, like movies should. Yeah. And so many people have just stopped doing that because I guess it's not cool to tell the audience what your movie's called anymore. But James Gunn, yeah. he does it. And he does it beautifully. And he he works does. It. Honestly, I, I also, have to, also have to say for this is James, like this movie is a real milestone movie because this is another end of another trilogy uh, mm -hmm. for for this this MCU and on top of that, this is James Gunn's last film before he goes over to DC. That's right. And that's that's really big. Like that's that's uh, kind of a big moment because, like, again, this just goes back to what my brother and I had with like Avengers: Infinity War and Endgame in the sense of like, like this closes a huge era. Like it closes a huge era of Marvel of Marvel content. Um, and it's, it kind of makes you go like, oh man, I remember when I first saw the first guardians, like, you know, like I remember that, that movie was still at the time where I would go see a movie like three or four times in the theater. And I went to see guardians three or four times in the theater. And I think it was three, actually, I think it was three, but I still saw it quite a bit. And yeah, like it's, it's an old, like it's relatively older. It's an older trilogy now. So yeah. this kind of closes it off. We've done it. We've gotten our three movies. And you know, we even got a little extra. We got the little I Am Groot series and the and the and, and the Guardians uh, of the Galaxy holiday special and all that. But in the end, like this trilogy, this journey of these characters is done. And and not only that, this amazing director who took 
who did the Marvel formula true justice, taking a B-list char character, sorry, D-listing characters, because these characters barely on the radar, mm -hmm. and made them one of the most popular of the MCU. And that's, that's huge. That is, it's so huge that, I mean, you have to stop and think, okay, this guy's next movie is going to be Superman. Can he work the same magic with a triple A-list character? <laughs> like, it's he's going from one extreme to the other, right? Yeah. So that's well, a learning curve for him. It must be. Oh, absolutely. It's going to be a huge. It's it it is and it isn't because of course he's done Suicide Squad, so he has some he has his toes in the water at least in terms of the world of DC. Now again, he is a comic book nerd too, so that also supports him. Now the big questions are: Can he hold a universe together? Is the big question mm. that ever, that's on everyone's mind. Uh, my friend Rav, who would join us for these movies, uh, was there for this one. And he was saying going in, like, this is a big test for me because I'm a big DC fan. I need to know, can he do it? Can he carry this through? Can he can he deliver? And I will say at the end of this movie, which brings us back to the topic at hand, he's like, DC's in good hands. That is his quote. Leaving The first thing he said after leaving the movie was DC's in good hands. Did Rav enjoy The Suicide Squad? He did, yes. Good. Okay. Yeah. So, so it, I feel like I'm on the same wavelength as him. That I feel like DC is in really good hands. Um, even if this Superman movie just ends up being okay, the fact that Gunn is calling the shots and building this world, and he's going to be the Feige of this world, uh, that tells me that all those people that I love, like the Green Lantern Corps. And, you know, the Riddler and whatever, you know, whatever we get to see of them is going to be under this umbrella and it's going to turn out wonderful. Absolutely. And, you know, it's funny. I give my friend Rav a really hard time about DC movies because, to be fair, like Snyder and Nolan and all that stuff like, are good. But especially Snyder, I think Snyder's a great visual storyteller. I just don't like the way he ends his movies. I don't. They don't work. They, they, they rarely pay off. And the big thing for me here is, is that I don't like the art department of the Snyder's world. It's too, it's too gritty and to a point where it doesn't balance out the characters who don't, who don't fall into the gritty category. It doesn't make mm -hmm. them look good. Um, it makes them look very muddy. Uh, yes. Like it works for Batman and Batman looks amazing, but not everyone shares the same lighting and same palette as batman does like you know and i said it once i said it a thousand times uh you know bruce tim said it best he's like if i go into the movie to see a if i go into the movie to see a batman movie if the movie started i can't find my seat because it's always dark it's very noir it's very you know but that's the point it's supposed to bring in that setting of horror fear and like you know and like trying to rise above that but he's like, if I go to a Superman movie, I can find my chair. I can see my food. I can see the people in the theater because it's so bright. It's very sunny. So like for me, seeing the art department for Snyder didn't complement a lot of those things. Is that like everything has got this kind of dark noir filter over the whole thing. And it doesn't work. It does not fit the characters. And that's why when you, when you look at the original cartoons with Bruce Timm, when you look at the original Batman before they changed it to match the, the Superman animation, that fit Batman's world. It looks like Batman's world. Then you have um, 
you have Superman's cartoon and you can tell that he was clearly inspired by like uh, the Rockefeller building and you can see like the, the working men pose and they do it in Man of Steel. It's the same art that kind of takes place there. But that kind of art is like very representative of Superman. It's all about building a new world and like, you know, rising above it and like, you know, over like being triumphant kind of thing. And so, yeah, like kind of a rant there. But like, I think what I love about James Gunn coming into this whole DC world and, you know, having my friend Rav say like DC's in good hands is because I believe it is because like look at Guardians, how colorful it was despite it being in space and being considerably one of the darkest if not the darkest uh marvel film to date like they've had some dark moments in other other movies but this one by far really pushes darkness onto their viewers yeah they really stretch the limits of their pg-13 rating in volume three uh, and the the color palette that Gunn uses is one of the many things I admire about him. And I love me some Zack Snyder. I respect the guy. I think his movies are really fun and I like them too. But yeah, you're right. Zack Snyder's look is very, it, and it's a, a popular look, unfortunately, in the modern times. But it's the gray, sludgy CGI look. And to me, that just does not look nice. That's mm -hmm. literally the only thing I didn't enjoy that I didn't love about Avengers Endgame was that the final battle had that gray overcast sludgy look to everything when mm -hmm. Marvel has usually been so great about opening up colors. And I'm Absolutely. still, I'm convinced to this day that Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 had so many colors in it. It had colors that I didn't even know existed. <laughs> and my eyes are still getting used to the fact that I saw things that hadn't existed before. Mm -hmm. uh, and Guardians 3, even though it's darker, it did follow suit with that in a lot of places. Uh, mm -hmm. And unfortunately, I didn't get to see it with you, Ryan, because I had a nasty cold the night we oh, were Literally yeah. the day before we were supposed to go, I came down with just awful, awful sickness, and I could not make it out to the theater, but I finally did two days ago. I took my mom, because she finally, she's a huge Guardians fan, and so she enjoyed the hell out of it. Um, and we had a good time there. And Guardians is now, the, the, the story is now over, and we have seen the end of this trilogy, Ryan, that it started back in 2014. Absolutely, and uh, and uh, yeah, the story, I, yeah, the story is over for the Guardians, or spoilers, is it? Is it? Hello! Hello! A uh, quick hello to Alex Lemons, who joined us in the chat. Hello, Alex. Ooh. Alex says, before all this, Gunn pitched a Metal Man film to Warner Brothers. Ryan, I don't know if you know much about the Metal Men, but James Gunn and the Metal Men, to me, sounds like chocolate and peanut butter. <laughs> it is a perfect IP for him to work on. It, I, I did hear about this pitch. I do know of the Metal Men. I know, I know what they I, like. I know Platinum and all that. Like, I know the characters. I don't know the stories and make the characters, but I know of them. Yeah. So, but I mean, James Gunn is doing the right thing. Is like, like I know he's tackling Superman, and I get that. Um, also, one thing I wanted to mention about DC as well that I don't want to get too much into any more DC than we need to, but. Um, why I was mentioning why I'm so hard on hard on my friend Rav about DC is because my favorite my favorite DC films that were like the best expression of DC are still and I don't want to be that kind of person but I kind of have to be is Tim Burton's Batman and Richard Donner's Superman 
are like the perfect example of what a comic book movie needs to be. It, it doesn't, and it's interesting because Kevin Feige was a production assistant to Richard Donner. So he, he knows he's, he's been trained by one of the best. Um, and, and Richard Donner, quite arguably Richard Donner Superman is probably my favorite. Like it's, it's so good. It is so, it's such an incredible adventure. Um, uh, and it's the perfect balance of like storytelling and character growth that I've, I've seen in the movie. And that's why for me, like Nolan's Batman's amazing. Don't get me wrong. I, I really compliment Nolan for what he did and he really reinvented it. My only problem was he was so good that everything post Nolan had to be some type of Nolan. And that right. to me is not, that doesn't, that's not how it works. So yeah, it's, it's just, that's why I'm so hard on the, like hard on like my friend Rav and, and people that love the DC movies, especially Snyder's DC movies. Cause again, Snyder's good. I don't think he should have let it. I think he should have supported it. And I think he should have like been cinematographer or like second director. Like he should have had a second, he should have had another director working with him. And I guarantee you it would have been like the best movie hands down ever made. But like, it's just his, his I don't know if it's his art department. There is some side, some type of line that divides them that do, it just doesn't look good. Um, but in the end, they're great movies. Don't get me wrong. I'm not going to discredit anything Snyder has done. It's, they're fantastic. And he has solid moments that I cannot argue that are, that are no short of amazing. Oh, yeah. But I don't, in my opinion, in my opinion, is that he doesn't, he's, he's not as good at ending films as he, as he could be. And yeah, but anyways, that, going back to that, yes, I do know about the metal men. Uh, but what I like about James Gunn and what he's doing is he's starting all sorts of different angles of the DC universe that we've never heard of. Yeah. Like, like these, I think it's the commandos or whatever, like the, the, the animated film he's coming out with. Um, the authority, the authority, there's an animated movie that's coming out first. Oh, creature commandos. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Creature commandos. Creature commandos. Mm -hmm. That is brilliant. Start yeah. small, start with the weirdest part of DC and work up, work your way up the ladder because the, like as, Although I'm excited for the next Superman film because James Gunn's doing it, I I want to see other, anything. I want to see much like everything else. I want to see but more Wonder Woman. I want to see more like Green Lantern. I want to see a lot more Green Lantern. Yes. I, there's so much that I want to see in the DC world. But the problem is, is you always harken back to, you know, Superman and Batman. And the thing is, is like we've done them. We've done them well. They're so, they're all so good. And it's like, yes, I, and what I love about what they're doing with Batman is when it comes to Batman's story, it's not going to be about him. It's about his kids or our kids. Sorry. So that's what I'm big excited. That's what I'm really excited about it. Mm -hmm. But yeah, so, so yeah, I, that's why I like, yes, go with the metal men. Give us, give us, go as weird as you want. Doom Patrol is a good example. That's why that show is so good. It's like, give us the things that aren't familiar to us because it's going to be like, I can't wait to see you want to give people the suspense so that when Batman comes, when Superman comes, it's going to be like, Holy God, like you've been waiting for this moment. Right. And he, we can't ever stress enough how much he made us fall in love with this team of guardians who nobody knew about in 2013. Yeah. Nobody. And nobody. now we're, we're crying because their story is over. That's right? it. 
Like Guardians, Guardians is a great example. Like when we get to like, like let's get into the movie a little bit here. Cause like this story of characters, if you, again, you would not know who Star-Lord is. In fact, the only thing you would have known from the first Guardians film is Nova Corps. Because Nova right. is one of the more popularly known characters. Did they give you Nova? They didn't even give you Richard. They didn't give you Richard Ryder. They gave you the Nova Corps, but they didn't give you any character close to Nova himself. They gave you the armor, what the armor looks like. They gave you characters that Richard has talked to, but they didn't they didn't give you the one character that would have stood out above every everyone else in in the world of Guardians. And then what did he do? He focused on Star-Lord, really small character, focused on Gamora, Drax, Rocket, all these characters that, you know, make up the Guardians. He focused on these D-level characters. These were not popular. And now Guardians 3 is here and they bring in such unique characters like the villain is so embedded in Marvel history that this is this is a very familiar character for those who have if you've seen the X-Men cartoon, then you know who this villain is. Yes, indeed. All right. So we're so this movie does a great job. And, and one thing I will say about this movie too is that, and this I think it kind of sets up our conversation. This movie doesn't leave any room for open chapters too much. Like not at every part where there's a story to branch off to, they usually close it before they can like leave any lingering thoughts about it. Yeah, absolutely. They, um, they're, they, and we'll get to when we get to the finale here, but it's like, they do a good job of not making it feel like this is going to lead to another part of the MCU. They do right. a really good job of just saying, Hey, there it is folks. Close the book. We had a great time. Cause that's how, an ending should feel. Um, and I love that. Yes, even though we probably will see these characters again, I love that they just took the time to give us that emotional ending. Um, but we can't have an ending without a beginning. Uh, and by the way, while everybody's waiting for the Richard Ryder Nova movie, I'm waiting for the spinoff of that ridiculously good looking uh, Nova Corps girl who's always taking notes for Nova Prime. Right? <laughs> Where's her movie? Who, who was that? <laughs> Can we please get just a movie about her and why she's so attractive? Uh, but I digress. So the Guardians have taken over Nowhere, and they're living on Nowhere, which coincidentally enough is the name of a major location in my books. Hey! So just saying, Stan Lee, you owe me some residuals. I'm kidding. Um, but they've taken over Nowhere, and they're trying to live their life there. And Ryan, this movie just starts off without you know there's no uh, preamble here you you get dropped into the middle of nowhere no pun intended and then all of a sudden adam warlock's like hey what's up oh man okay so yeah so adam warlock first of all i and again a big character not only from guardians like this this character essentially kicks off one of the most popular comics ever made uh which is again the infinity gauntlet um mm -hmm. but we get a really good intro. What I love about um, what I love about Warlock in this film is the physicality of Warlock. That's where this performance truly shines. Now you have to one thing you have to keep track of, and this is something I was talking about with Isabella. She's like, "Why was Warlock kind of, I, I, for lack of a better word, she didn't use this word, but this is the word I will use, dimwitted? Why did he seem so dimwitted?" And and I explained to her that, like, it's because he's essentially like Vision. He was born yesterday. 
Yes. So so his his he's going to be intelligent and he's going to pick up very quickly like essentially everything. But in this movie, in this journey, he's essentially just born. So he's literally raw power and in this naive body like or sorry in this naive mind. And yes, he just flies in and the soundtrack still capturing what the all the movies have done thus far. Uh, you know, keeping that, you know, nice kind of 70s, 80s nostalgic flow. Um, and even even some of the 90s songs in there. Um, but yeah, it just and he comes in and hits so hard. And this movie does a good job of using action to pick up the pace because you you do linger in emotions a lot. Because in this movie, in the scene where Warlock comes in, you do see Rocket going through something. And he shows <laughs> off the key uh, a little bit to, uh, shows off the key that he used to break free. And then Warlock just hits him. And then it gets into this huge fight scene, which is so fun. Yeah. And I kept forgetting, not forgetting, but I mean, I knew Adam Warlock was going to be in the movie, but he just kept getting lost in the shuffle of my excitement of like, it's the last Guardians movie. I get to see the Guardians again, whatever. So I knew he was coming, but I wasn't really focusing on Warlock. And then he shows up so early in the game, like within like mm -hmm. the first three minutes, he's there and he's demolishing the Guardians. I know he's supposed to be really powerful. Um, I don't know, and I'll leave you the pro to answer this. Like, I don't know if any of the Guardians actually stand a chance against him. I know he kind of, you know, cleaned up house in the film, but I also love the, I just love the portrayal of him as this naive guy because he came across very superman-y and the voice that the actor did the actor's name is totally slipping my mind i'm sorry bandersnatch you know who you are Poulter, you will, Poulter. will Poulter. thank you um will Poulter's voice that he he brought to the table there was just this uh completely naive uh determination and charisma like half the time he has his hands on his hips and he's just like mother what are we doing mother right and it's it's so what because everything I knew about Adam Warlock going into this, which is not a bunch, you know, just little trading card stuff, but everything that I did know, he came across as a very insufferable kind of I'm this super powerful cosmic being, bow down before me kind of thing. Uh, yeah. which which he was, you know, they showed that in the video game as well. Mm -hmm. I think he was even rhyming or something in that. So like the idea of making him hey, congratulations on the house. <laughs> um the idea of making him like that uh, and, and having Will Poulter play him in that way where he's he's this Boy Scout, essentially, with a Boy Scout with the power of a nuke yes. is hilarious. Uh, and I thought, even though he didn't have a whole bunch of screen time, whenever he was on screen, I was really entertained by this guy. No, I think they did the right thing. Honestly, I don't think they could have made Adam Warlock any better. I mean, without having to justify so much, like, like to... Because, like, the the tone he has in the comics if you ever play the guardians of the galaxy game uh and in spoilers you run into warlock that's the comic book warlock like that's that's a fully actualized adam warlock and the way he talks is he uses he uses such high very intelligent words that are very hard to comprehend and they have mm. many syllables. Uh, <laughs> but he uses a lot of very big words to describe things. Uh, and so his vocabulary is very big. And, and again, he's a very powerful character. But yes, he's very insufferable. He doesn't, he doesn't tolerate too much. So I feel like the reason why they did it was because it, it would have been too close to Drax 
Like, like essentially Drax in the first movie is how Adam Warlock is. So that's the kind of parallel here. So I think it was smarter to make him naive and and younger, like kind of a younger attitude to kind of eventually get to Drax, the Drax level. But then you, again, this movie would have had the same tone with two Draxes, essentially a guy who speaks literally without, um, you know, a guy who doesn't get metaphors and uses big, big vocabulary to like, speak his mind so yeah no it's it's it this warlock is is again not a fully actualized one but you're right i like i like your description he's a boy scout with the power of a nuke is is pretty much now kenny who can stand up to him there is a guardian that can and you only meet this guardian way later on in this movie i think i know who it is perhaps we'll, you do. we'll get there when we get there but perhaps i think i know who it is uh-huh. um can uh can the silver surfer beat him up yes okay silver silver surfer can go toe-to-toe with him all right yeah i know those two are pretty silver surfer has like the powers of galactus so which is celestial like essentially so yeah that is true that is true (laughs) uh yeah i know adam warlock is a pretty powerful force to be reckoned with and i like that they didn't overuse him here uh we know he's coming back in some way shape or form but you know that's that's a story for another day. But Adam Warlock uh, hurts Rocket pretty badly. Yup. And Rocket spends like three quarters of the film in some kind of coma. Yeah. This is a this is a much smaller role for Rocket considering the the first two movies. He, he talks majority through it. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. This movie, I swear, he has like maybe twenty lines, maybe a little bit less. Maybe a little bit more, but like not that much. Maybe Bradley Cooper was asking for too much money, and they were like, "Okay, Brad." <laughs> I don't know because he he was still part of the time when those big contracts would go out, where they have like a ten movie contract. So I don't uh, think he would have been paid more more, or definitely would not have been paid less for this this movie. I think that maybe they do give him a little, like kind of like a raise to do this film, but like. I I doubt I doubt they paid like a big ton of money to get him in this because he was he, he was still a part of the time where they had the ten picture deals. Yeah, and that's I think right. He's, I think he's I think this would have been his like tenth film. I think he might be right. Yeah, it's up there at least, and he, he yeah. did sign up pretty early. Um, but as a lot of us speculated going into this, this was in fact Rocket's movie in the same way that Part Two was kind of Yondu's movie. Um, so we did end up getting the Rocket movie that we all suspected we would, and his origin did end up being tied in with the High Evolutionary, and those origins, pretty damn heartbreaking. Yeah. There are some sad, heavy stuff, um, and I don't know how comic accurate all of this is. I don't know if the High Evolutionary really got involved with Rocket, but I love the way they tied all that together. I know uh, High Evolutionary from the cartoon so I know what his bag is and what he's all about. So it fits well with rocket. I think they made a good choice of putting that together, even if that's not comic accurate. Um, and I love rockets friends so much. Lila and Teefs and floor. They're such sweet animals. And I mean, you like, gotta I'm, give I'm, it, you gotta give it to gun for, for coming up with these. We're not, again, these characters are actually quite comic in terms of comic accuracy. This is ranking pretty pretty high like this this stuff is mostly from the comics actually a lot of this is from the comics 
but give it to Gunn to make these really grotesque looking characters give him such soul and heart. Mm. Like, like there is, I was, I was not joking and, and partly joking, but I was not joking. Like there could have been a lot of man tears shed for this movie. Like it, you feel these characters all the way through. Oh yeah. And I mean, baby rocket is pretty adorable. Like we all fell in love with baby Groot. Along comes baby rocket. And we're like, ah! um, and I mean, I don't know how many people now since the movies come out, are like heading over to their local animal shelters and being like, can I adopt a raccoon, please? Uh, I'm sure it's happening somewhere. But Baby Rocket's journey is so sad. Like just the mistreatment that we see that he goes through. Uh, and even just the way the high evolutionary so callously will just like grab his face. He'll just put his whole hand on his face and be like, your brain, and like squeak, and you can tell it's hurting and uncomfortable. And he just sees them as numbers. Uh, I forget, what does he call them? Like 831B4 or something like that. 831B9. Um, 831B9, thank you. Um, and then to to top it all off, just what ends up happening with his friends, it's just, how did this make you feel, Ryan? Because for me, I was like, this is, this is the most emotional a Marvel movie has made me since Endgame, I think. Or no, since No Way Home. Um, I think, first of all, a lot of the headlines I saw were saying this is Marvel's return to form. And the fact of the matter is, it's because this is James Gunn's third film, third major film. Um, but at the same time, like, he did so much justice to the growth of these characters. And if you think about it, every character had a full story arc. That's a, that's a major role of the guardians. Um, you talk about the first movie, which is clearly star Lord's movie. Like it is his, but I would also argue it's Drax's movie just as much as star Lord's. Cause yeah. he has a full arc in it. It's, it's, you know, he lost his kid and he's just angry and he throws around his anger until, until he almost like kills all the guardians and Rocket just tells him, like, yo, we all have dead people. Like, they're not the only one in pain here. And he has a redemption. And he, so he has a full circle, uh, Drax, in the first one. And then in the second one, he he even closes his story off with his new with a renewed relationship with Mantis and having kind of like a daughter figure with Mantis. Right. Um, and then Nebula, Nebula's story is definitely in this. The Nebula and Gamora story are definitely uh, first to second. Uh, and... So they get a full arc there and they close that story off all the way through Avengers Infinity War and Endgame. Uh, and then so really Rocket, like the only story that's kind of not done or even not too explored is Groot's story. Uh, but Rocket's story was the last to kind of close it all off. And Mantis, they give you all the Mantis' story all the way through the second one anyway. So... Yeah, yeah, it's 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 an incredible story to explore for Rocket, and they did pretty much pull from the comics. It's fairly accurate to to it all. And Counter Earth, it's a real comic book reference. Uh, High Evolutionary is a Counter Earth there, and Ca High Evolutionary is uh, is well known because he uh, not only had this animal planet, but um, he also created essentially was a part of the mutant history. So this was kind of a little nod that like mutants are coming. Mutants mm -hmm. are coming. Like it's kind of there, but there's also like, it, there's also a Cree part of it that plays a whole factor in the, the mutants and everything. And it's, it's, it's a whole unraveling, 
but um but yeah so the, the lila's story is is very much very accurate to the comics they actually used uh, uh hawkeye's wife is the voice of lila which is really yeah cute. she is and she again brings so much heart and soul to that character um and uh but yeah these characters are are super grotesque but but they do such a great job of just making them so relatable and just and just you know it's it's kind of an endearing story of like you know just like how do i phrase this it's such an endearing story to to help people realize you know that there is a lot of um like PETA and stuff saying that celebrating guardians for demonstrating the cruelty we can do to you know animals and stuff like that and taking it to that level but telling such a human story from it all that emotions that people have and can relate to in terms of you know being imprisoned in the whole thing uh and how to overcome that how to overcome that and and i will say that shot for lila which again if i did spoiler warning in the beginning so let's just oh yeah we spoil everything here yeah what are you guys doing here if you don't watch exactly that shot you feel it like you you shake because like it's it's so loud but at the same time it's just such a perfect moment that you think he's gotten them out and and on, on only not only that it's such a beautiful story because like there are no questions you know villain's motivation you know hero's motivation and that's it like it it's this is where i go to how beautiful simplicity can be is like all you need to know is like High evolutionary is a genius, but even he can't figure everything out. And one of his experiments figures out the key to the one thing he was trying to figure out. And he's just so, so mind blown as to why, like how, like why and how is this creature better than me? I like, he is the high evolutionary and this creature that he made is better than him. It's so good. And it's, and it's like all Rocket wants is him to hit for him to like take care of him and bring him into his new world and everything. And to him, it's just like he's an experiment. And why is he working too well? Uh, and it's it's a great simple, like you're saying, simple uh, motivation for this guy to do what he does. And it's a mm-hmm. simple motivation for us to hate him as a villain. Because he is a—he's just one of those juicy villains that you just love to hate. You can't wait to see him get what's coming to him. Um, and in terms of the shot that, you know, him killing Lila, it's there's something so visceral about the fact that he's this spaceman, cosmic scientist with the craziest technology at his disposal, and he just kills her with like a revolver. Like that was just a an earth gun with an earth bullet. Uh, yeah. And there's something so painful about that because we, even though we don't necessarily think this way, it's more subliminal, but we as humans have a vague idea of what it feels like to be shot with a bullet because that's part of like, even though thankfully we've never had that experience firsthand. If he had been like, ooh, my space laser wrist thing, and he killed Lila that way, we don't know what that means. We don't know how that laser feels. We don't know how much it hurts to be hit by one. But the fact that it's just a gun, plain and simple, just a gun, and he loaded the chamber and fired a bullet, Mm -hmm. 
we feel that more. It's 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 beautiful cause and effect on on such a scale that like we can understand. It's again, it's just simplistic beauty, and it's it's so horrifying. Like it's just like you're right. Like I couldn't have said it better. It's it's a gun, and it's it's the, look at the destruction it caused and how it caused its destruction. Like it's ah, it's you're right. If it was like. I don't know if it would have translated the same if it was like a laser from his hand or whatever. Like, but the fact it was a gun, it's like, oh my God. It's like, no, like you should not. Like, you're like, it's just simple. Like, you're evil. Like, it's, it's, this movie really illustrates evil so well. And the thing is, too, is like, Lila's a character, you see that build up too, because like Lila's referenced in the first movie. Like, Lila's referenced when we first see Rocket in the, the prison scene. Uh, where he's where they scan them and they show like it says known affiliates Lila. Um, oh, cool. So so it's it's a full journey for for even Lila's character in the short period of time. But you're I, I, again I I can't help but just echo what you're saying. It's it's it could have been anything. It could have been something so sci-fi, but it's a gun, and it it it's it just it just demonstrates in such a simple way how evil he is and it's uh and how evil the how evil the act is and mm-hmm. that's oh man just just poetry Ooh, it's a great that might have been one of the best marvel moments of the last few years to be honest is that and then the aftermath of rocket just going bananas and swiping his face apart and you know we're all right there with you rocket like we are <laughs> we know how you feel yeah um and with Rocket in this coma, we, and by we, I mean the Guardians. I am not a part of the Guardians yet. Uh, but the Guardians have to uh, go to this corporation, uh, Oga Corp or yeah. something, and uh, figure out what uh, the code is that they can override in Rocket's uh, body so that they can administer a med pack to him. And that's where we got this beautiful, colorful spacesuit scene that we saw in the trailers. Uh, with the added bonus of the wonderful joke that the spacesuit communication color buttons are as counterintuitive as they could possibly be. <laughs> uh, you know, it's funny. The spacesuits look like the reference from a Stanley Kubrick film because uh, it's uh, it looks very similar with the multicolors there. Uh, yeah, but again, it's it's a beautiful scene that just oh my god, just so colorful and so fun. But it's, you know what, the fun that is had in this film still fits the narrative. It's not like, you know how we talked about the why is the rum gone joke and how it's overplayed? All the running jokes that they have in Guardians is all so carefully and well-placed that you do not feel that they're tired old jokes. Like Mantis and Drax, they're not tired and old, they're hilarious. And they work. And they're so funny. Uh, and then Star Lord trying to have his moments, and they're so public. It's mm. it's all there, and the layers is again it works. It just at no point did I go, oh here we go another why is the rum gone joke, and it's not going to play. It's it was so funny. It, it, every moment was so good, and especially too because Rocket kind of carries a lot of the comedy throughout Guardians. Like Rocket's always kind of the punchline of most jokes. Um, or even even the setup of most jokes, and then the punchline happens after. But yeah, in this movie, he's out. So how do you how do you play up the same punches that the original Guardian movies had to this one? 
Right. And they, you, and I, you make a great point there that I want to kind of shove in everybody's face to remind them just how great this trilogy is, is that they, they never, the, the jokes are always serving the narrative and they never lose track of what the narrative is. Uh, and a lot of the jokes in this movie come from the, the ticking clock. It comes from the impatience, particularly Peter's impatience with everybody else, because there is a ticking clock. Rocket is dying, right? Um, and that's where the comedy can kind of write itself because all this funny stuff is happening and you're laughing at it, but you're also feeling the same way Peter feels. We're like, oh my God, Drax, stop talking. Like we have, we have more important things to worry about. And it really helps underline the fact that all three of these movies, the stakes are so high every time in completely different ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've got, you know, the potential end of the universe with Ronan trying to use the power stone uh, and like almost getting there. And then you've got another potential end of the universe with ego, but this time he's halfway there and he's spreading stuff. And Peter's literally the only person who can stop him. And now you have the universe itself is okay, but you still have extremely high stakes in the fact that your friend who you love is going to die and it gets real close to it too. Gets real for sure. I'll I'll talk about that later because there's a, there's something I do want to talk about that. Um, I do love the infiltration of this science facility uh, scene as, as I love a good, um, I love a good uh, heist part of the film. Uh, I, I, and again, the jokes all play out really well in, in this whole sequence. Uh, you know, I, first of all, I love seeing Stallone in his, uh, I think it's Starhawk or uh, some, I think it's Starhawk. Uh, uh, Starhawk. I think Starhawk is what his comic character's name is, but in the yeah. movies they called him Stakar. Yeah, Stakar, yeah. But it's yeah. it's Star it's Starhawk is his, like, his superhero name, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, but he had the the glowing kind of suit in the, the wings and stuff, which looks so good. The entrances for some of the characters in this movie are just in fact one of the things i noticed on youtube is and i keep getting like little search pop-ups of it is uh is warlock's entrance is like everyone has it it's it's, and i think it's just the beautiful context of the music and him coming in all carefully played together uh to create this like harmonic moment is is just amazing uh but yeah so the heist scene is so fun and um and yeah, we get the uh, the entrance of uh, the Ravengers. We get the new Gamora, and they do a good job of like kind of keeping the viewers reminded of like why this Gamora is different. And it's kind of what I have to give props to in this particular instance. This is a great tool and way to fix a character. Not that Gamora needed fixing; she did. She didn't need fixing. But if you were gonna fix a character, she is the best way to do it though the way they did it makes complete sense and now she has the ability to reconstruct the character on what worked and change what didn't work and to create a newer character that's fresh and has a new perspective like you know gamora in the comics is a badass and like she has a dysfunctional relationship with star lord they did hook up it didn't work out so you know now they're just whatever um, and I think for the movies, like it was, it was at the time, it was nice to do this, like, you know, love story that they had and they had a full story about it. 
But then having this reset moment where she gets, you know, you know, they pull her from an alternate timeline. Uh, it's it's great to kind of see the get to see the different decisions that make up the character. You know, like she did it in Star Lord. So what is she like? And they do a great job of reinventing the character, and in a way that's not like, oh man, like like I get it, and I know that like people that are like you know don't necessarily love comic book films. I think for even them, this is something that you can you would totally accept because you get it. They spell it out for you in such a beautiful way that you know this is a new character even though it's a character that's like from a different timeline and the whole the whole absurdity of it all but it's yeah. really genius to kind of reinvent the character this way yeah they did a great job of making it not be a retcon of her death yes because i was really worried about that um you know when it, i'm of the mind when a character dies let them be dead so that it can have emotional weight and when Gamora died, I was like, oh, that's so sad, but it's so cool because we lost the Guardian. That's cool, awesome. And then to bring her back in Endgame and just have her come back, just it's the different version of her, I was worried. I was worried, and I'm like, okay, what's Guardians 3 going to do about this? Are we just retconning her death? Because that would be a bummer. I don't want to do that. And they didn't go that route. They didn't have her just be like, I'm back and I'm the same old me and everything is great. And uh, oh, I'm they, falling in love with, with Star-Lord all over again. Yes. They they definitely showed, they walked the perfect tightrope back where they showed that this is a woman who is essentially at heart a good person who's willing to do the right thing. Um, the poison that is Thanos has not been fully washed out of her well yet as it has with Gamora Prime, but we see that slowly starting to happen. She has found a new home with the Ravagers, who are a much more um, aggressive group than the Guardians, uh, but still a family. And we've seen that with Yondu and the way he treats his, his crew. So we can see that she has found a family the same way Gamora Prime has. It's just a different one. And it would be selfish of Peter to take that away from her just because he had a Gamora who was different. And that to me is a beautiful way of playing that out. I don't think they could have done it any better uh, after integrating this new Gamora. That's the absolute best way to play that out and not force her back in and force her back into a romance. It was exactly what it needed to be. And it's a good almost cautionary tale to other writers in a way to be like, if you're going to do this, don't force it because that is a disservice to the character. Absolutely. It's it exactly. And and they take like Marvel took good care, like good care of these characters for sure. And I couldn't agree more that it's like a perfect evolution. And, and, and you see her like, again, she, you, you, I think what I love about what you said there is exactly that, which is, she still retains the core values of Gamora Prime. Like she yeah. retains them all, but she doesn't have the same guidance that the original character did or the same support system. So now, but in the end, the result is still becoming the same because of the world she's in now. So without, again, without Thanos. So that's, it's, it's a beautiful journey. And even Nebula, it's, it's interesting how there's kind of a huge shift between Nebula and Gamora now, where Gamora, or sorry, yeah, where Gamora's the more hardened one, 
and Nebula is the softer one. Yeah. So it's a beautiful shift of character growth. And uh, it's interesting too, because again, like, you know, especially you as a writer, like you're like, it's, it's an interesting way to reinvent and tackle these characters, especially the relationship they've established. Yes. And it's always fun in relationships when you, uh, when you've been going for a couple movies to turn it on its head and see what happens. That's why it was so much fun in Toy Story 2 to have Woody say, hey, I'm going to go with these new toys I just met and go live in a museum. And Buzz has to be the one to be like, dude, you are a toy. You are meant to be played with by a child. That's what we love about character growth and, and about using character growth in sequels to take things to the next step. And Nebula is a perfect example of that. Her arc just throughout all of the MCU is chef kiss. Oh. I don't know, in the comics, does she spend more time being villainous or more time being heroic? I would I would say anti-hero, more anti-hero kind of thing. Like she has moments where she kind of leans always back and forth and you never really know where she lands. Uh, but in the end, she'll still do the right thing. But I would say it's a very much like a Punisher kind of story arc of a character because, you know, though they do good things, in the end, how they get to do good things the means in which that justifies their ends may not be exactly the you know best way to do it. Yeah, uh, that's Nebula, and I mean that, <laughs> that, that definitely fits. She's, she's just a Nebula, you know. <laughs> yeah, in the Marvel United board game, she's playable as a hero, but they don't have her as a villain, mm -hmm. uh, so you can't reenact any Gamora versus Nebula battles. But uh, next year, when the next season of that game comes out, High Evolutionary is going to be a villain, and I can't wait to hurt him for everything he did to Rocket and his friends. Absolutely. It's and so going back to uh the Orgoscope uh facility there, we get our cameo of Nathan Fillion, who could have been our Richard Ryder. I you know there was a part of me in this film where I had a moment. I had a moment where I'm like, oh my God, they could reveal him as an undercover Nova Corps agent. And then he <laughs> finally finds out that like Xandar has been wiped out and it's like the kickoff for him to like become Nova. And I'm like, I was all for it. I was all for it. I was like, Oh my God. And, and in the end, like he yet, yet again, plays like some offshoot character, uh, master card Karja. Uh, but he had fun. It was a fun, fun sequence to watch. Like he was hilarious and he's the same Nathan Fillion I know and love. But it, there is a part of me where, like, I actually mentally mapped out, like, this could be a huge Richard Ryder reveal, and this would be perfect, but that didn't happen. It didn't happen, but Karja was fun. I love his meat suit. Um, and that whole Orgacorp there is a is just a wellspring of cameos, because we also got Jennifer Holland showing up, Mrs. James Gunn herself. She shows up there as, uh, I think, the communications officer, right? We got Daniela Melchior as the pink skinned alien uh, who was rat catcher in the, the suicide squad. And mm -hmm. she was um, just a lot of fun. Uh, and we got my homegirl Tiffany Smith uh, who had just a blink and you miss it cameo where she plays like she's on like a billboard, a video billboard and she's talking about Orgo Corp and how great it is. Um, I have a big crush on Tiffany Smith. She's like an online personality slash actress. Uh, she looks like Meghan Markle, but even prettier. Oh, um, wow. Yeah. Uh -huh. um, and I think this cameo fest in here and just everything that happens in this corporation scheme, it's indicative of something that James Gunn does so well that I never thought of till after this movie, 
Um, and the only other director I know who does it really, really well is Sam Raimi, which is every background character, by the time you're done with them, you feel like you've known them for years, right? Look at all the people Spider-Man encountered, like his landlord and her and the, the daughter and the people who work at the Daily Bugle and just all the people on the subway in Spider-Man 2. Like his background characters are so full of life. Uh, and with James Gunn's films, the same thing happens. In Guardians, every time we meet a person who has only one line, I still feel like I'm going to remember that person for the rest of my life. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like the like in the first movie, the communications officer that Drac threatens, he's like, no, I want Cornix batteries. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, I couldn't agree more. Uh, it, every Every character has a lot of life. Especially too, if I was an up and coming actor, hell yeah, I'd be an extra in any one of those films because you never know what kind of spotlight you're going to get, uh, oh, yeah. and then get carried through uh, the film. So absolutely, there's there's definitely some great moments, and again, and even the the settings are characters like the locations, right? Like, you know, Isabella was grossed out by the Orgo Corp building because it's like a giant organism essentially, <laughs> but like it had so much personality. Yeah. And like then at the end when they break out and turn off the gravity and they're all like floating and all that stuff, or sorry, you mal man, uh, malfunction the jetpacks and they're all floating around. It was so fun. It was it, again, it just screams personality. Um, and then as we get into the journey of Counter Earth and um, and uh, get into High Evolutionary again, uh, you know it's interesting because I was wondering if they were going to expand on High Evolutionary himself and his journey because again. He leads to the mutants. He, as a part of uh, Quicksilver and Wanda's journey, he essentially created them uh, through the DNA of Magneto, and it's a whole thing. Now they they kind of changed their history over many versions of comic books, but that was a moment in their history, and he played a moment in the mutants' history as well. Um, and you know, I love that journey, uh, and the whole them going after the High Evolutionary was just so fun i mean we could get into some nitty-gritty moments like i love the the, the suburbia they go to and you mm -hmm. know getting into the car and the dropping the f-bomb and all that stuff it's fun but for me the final conflict on the ship is just where the spotlight needs to be like that's that whole sequence is just amazing it's a wonderful climax uh and we can jump to it but i, I do want to talk about the f-bomb really quickly because it is marvel's first f-bomb and that's a big effing deal. Um, now, I thought it was funny. I thought it was a funny moment. But yeah. personally, and I want to know your thoughts, Ryan. Personally, I think for Marvel's first F-bomb, they could have put it somewhere better. Uh, yeah, I feel the same, uh, honestly. I didn't, it didn't pay out as well as I thought it would. Um, like... And I think the delivery was kind of, I don't want to get too nitpicky because then I'm just, I'm just being a critic, being a critic douchebag, but like, <laughs> but like, it still felt good. It's still like a felt good moment, but the delivery was still flat for me in, the, in terms of the overall, like it was a ha ho moment, mm -hmm. opposed to like a real bust my gut laughing moment, which I've had in other films. Like when Iron Man hits the shield and he's like, shit, you know, yeah. like, he, like, and then Cap's like language, that whole sequence is one long laughing joke because the, the, the curse word in a Marvel film and, and Cap being who he is, you know, like the language thing. But yeah, this one kind of felt dry. It, it was still funny. 
but it didn't la- it didn't have a lasting impact as well as I thought it would. Uh, could they use it in better moments? Absolutely. Like I, yeah. I any I, any of the movies, like Thor could have had some really good moments with with that word uh, that he could have used in in other moments. But yeah, I think in this film, the best place to drop it, and it would have been a great first f bomb for Marvel in general, would have been, mm. "My name is Rocket Effin Raccoon." I yeah, think that that would have been a a good place to throw that in because it's it's a powerful moment mm-hmm. and it's a powerful word. So we use it right. Because uh, according to the behind the scenes story, um, Chris Pratt just kind of blurted that out on the set and James Gunn thought it was funny enough to keep in uh, during the car scene. So I thought, okay, uh, it was just kind of like an outtake that was kept in. It was an intake. And it was great. No complaints here. But I think they definitely could have, for Marvel's first tossing of the gauntlet there, so to speak, they really they really could have picked a better spot for it. But it is what it is. Yeah. And uh, this... This whole interplay on Alter Earth of, uh, it almost felt like a comedy of errors where like some people are going to the ship and some people are rather to the pyramid and some people are staying on the ship and then they're not staying on the ship and they're going to the pyramid, but other people are leaving the pyramid and it's a big to do, but in the end it all works out and we get the guardians together for their final conflict on Mr. Mm -hmm. Evolutionary's pyramid. Yeah, I, I do love when Drax and uh, or is it Drax? Is it no? It's Groot. Groot and uh, Quill go see the High Evolutionary, and he does the, mm-hmm. the waiting thing, and then and then yeah, how Star Lord challenges him. It's so fun. Um, and I actually just realized Groot doesn't have a big role in this. No, either. that's like, surprising because he he's Rocket's best friend. I thought he was going to really have something to say here, like in terms of yeah, everything. same. And like. Honestly, I felt he was kind of a flat character in this one, to be honest with you. I don't think he really paid off as well either, especially for the last the last scene he has in, in this movie. Um, but, I mean, it's fun to see Groot's journey. Like, he looks cool. I love how, how, how he kind of now works with um, Quill, and he, you know, he, like, hides the guns inside him and all that stuff. Like, yeah. it's all fun and games there, and, like, his escape plan and all that stuff is super great. Um, even, even, uh, I also noticed, uh, which was a kind of an, it was, it was good, but it could have been better kind of moment was, um, the, uh, oh my God, what's, what's her name? The golden. Oh, Aisha. Aisha. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Uh, wonderful, wonderful actress, by the way. I love, I love her. Um, she, uh, she, she didn't have a big, she didn't have a big character here. Like they didn't sell the fact that like we thought in the second one, like she's, the pinnacle of like the perfect being and that when she goes to the high evolutionary, she is anything but like that translation didn't quite play out as well as I hoped it to, even with warlock, who's like a force, literally a force of nature. And they come to the high evolutionary and he's just like, you didn't do your job. You're, you're nothing to me. Like that kind of thing. Like, despite that, it's, it's supposed to be his like, you know, big, you know, the, the most perfect art form of, of him, like the, the, the best expression of his art, you know what I mean? And like, mm-hmm. he's treating them like garbage and like, it it should have been a better emotional payoff for that. But even her story arc in the, in that sequence, when they're fighting the high evolutionary and he, he gets rid of counter earth, she just dies. And then even warlock, like who essentially loses his mother figure 
that didn't play out as strongly as I thought. Like it didn't, but I think it's because again, this movie's focus was to close off chapters as quickly as possible and get to only expand on what needs to be expanded on for the, for the guardians legacy. You know what I mean? Like they don't want to branch off stories. They want to close it and leave a legacy that can evolve from there. Um, so there's that moment too that I kind of wanted to mention in this. Uh, but yeah, then then we get to the whole invasion of the high evolutionary ship, which is just pure amaze. The the tunnel fight scene is by far one of my favorite Marvel fight scenes to date. It I is, was thinking of you during that fight scene. It is so incredibly gorgeous. I'm glad you were thinking of me because <laughs> it is probably what i would call the most marvel cinematic fight scene i have seen and it's because of the way it's shot because every character has this fluid motion that's one clean move and you see the beginning and end of the whole move before the camera pans to the next character and does the whole fight sequence of that i hate cannot stand when they cut the moves too quickly because it's you're kind of catching up with it. Best example of like craziest fight scenes that you don't see is Born the Born series. Most of the mm-hmm. Born movies, they sped up Matt Damon's fight scenes because they said he wasn't great at fighting, but at the same time, they cut so much that you don't see the full story of each move. So like you're not seeing like, you know, the whole thing but in this one, one of my favorite shots is when Star-Lord slides and like you see that pose. It looks like a comic splash page. And yes. it's go- like, I hope every fight scene is like that. Yes, what a great climactic fight. What a great just fist pumping fight. <laughs> um, the Guardians It's have a been... hoorah moment. Like it is- It a li- is so like, hoorah. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's, it's one of those things where the context- and the action and everything all comes together for this beautiful cinematic fight scene climax. You're absolutely right. Yes. Um, that's one of the episodes that I've always wanted us to do one day is our, our favorite fight scenes in Marvel. And I mean, that's making the list. Let's just say it right now. That's making the list. I already have my, I, I don't even need to write it out because I already have my list. I know exactly. Yeah. I know exactly what I, I like. I think your, your uh, number one is. Uh, Christine Everhart versus Tony Stark when they're wrestling on the bed. Um, yeah, because it's it's the origin story of Annihilus. If you if you really watch closely, the time on Tony Stark's alarm clock says ten forty two, which is the issue number that Annihilus first showed up. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, that that <laughs> that fight scene, uh, this yeah. this Guardians corridor scene is so damn cool. I want to just watch a, a featurette now on the Blu-ray, just about every little bit and piece of that. And I also found it kind of funny how this is the second time in as many months that we have had an extremely popular, high-grossing movie starring Chris Pratt, where there's a really cool scene that uses the song No Sleep Till Brooklyn. It's it's so good. It's so Guardians. Uh, it's so fun. Um I was worried too because you know there's been some moments with Chris Pratt off camera that that kind of rubbed me the wrong way. It's just like I don't I don't know if popularity's got to him kind of thing, you know what I mean? Um, but this movie kind of reignited my my love for his for his role as Star Lord because like 
it kind of reminded me of why again he's you know chosen for that role because he does he does bring star lord so much personality um but yeah i was a bit worried that i'm like oh man another chris pratt here we go i don't know if i'm gonna buy this performance but i bought it man i was all over it but yeah the no sleep till brooklyn oh my god like, did you see super mario brothers i haven't seen it yet ah because they do ex he has uh an action scene in that where no sleep till brooklyn plays no way really yeah. oh my yeah. god i i want to see mario brothers but it's one of those things where it's like it's either that or like a thousand other movies. Like honestly, and uh, you know, it's, you're 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 always doing your reviews on your amazing YouTube channel. Um, we are in the age of like nonstop content for the movies. Like I remember growing up when there was a good year for movies and there was a bad year for movies, and like you yeah. did not need to go to the movie theater until like a good wave of movies started coming out again. And it was it was it was like going to like a concert, like when when the good year of movies was there. It was like going to the concert and being able to go as many times as you could. Um, but yeah, when it was a bad year, it's like man, like you felt it. You're like, oh my god, it was the slate. You know what I mean? <laughs> I wish I had more younger movie theater memories. Like I would only really get to go when it was like my weekend with my dad, and if there was something playing that he would want to take me to. Um, so I have like big ones of like seeing Batman and Robin with him and like that movie Jack with Robin Williams where he's like a little boy, but he looks like a man, you know, we would just go see random movies like that. But um, as I've gotten older and started going to movies myself, I have been just every year, it feels like there's more and more, like you're saying, more and more stuff to watch. And I keep doing more and more double features because it's just, they keep stacking up. Just last week I went to go see two original movies, Sisu and Polite Society, and they were both incredible. Polite Society is one of the coolest, most fun action movies I've seen in years. And they're just like, there's so much that you, if you love them, you gotta go support them. Well, Sisu, I definitely wanna see. <laughs> that, yeah. one looks, that one looks so much fun. But yeah, it, it, it's just, it was that thing. But, but even again, going back to this, like I was worried about going to a Chris Pratt movie, uh, mm -hmm. but in the end, you know, still wins me over with that character. Like, it's just, it's so fun. And that fights, the whole end fight scene, it's a long battle. Like, it's, yeah. the battle lasts, like, the last quarter of the movie. Um, and there's some interesting, really interesting moments. I mean, even something as small as Rocket freeing all his, uh, freeing all those animals, there's such a, a moment of, like, you know, you did it. Like, you, 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 you redeemed yourself, you know what I mean? Like, you, you came back and you saved all your friends. Um, and, uh, and like even, even the battle with high evolutionary. And this brings me to another topic. Marvel, why are you getting rid of all your villains? Like there are some key out of key villains. Like if you were to go through your list of key villains that Marvel should always have, like, obviously if they kill Dr. Doom, like that's like, people are going to lose their mind. Yeah. They're not going to do that. They're not going to do that. But, but, like, you know, and technically, I mean, I know there's the social climate going on with Kang right now, but even technically Kang, they could say they, they killed him off, which they did. They took out essentially the, the conqueror mm -hmm. who was like one of the biggest characters, again, ranking pretty high on the villain list. Uh, Loki, same thing, right? Like we're getting, we do have this Loki series season two, but again, thankfully they kind of saved the character, but technically they killed him um who's another big one that they they kind of got rid of 
like Modoc. Like they oh. got rid of Modoc. Mandarin. Mandarin. Yes. Another big character. Like, why? What is with I, I don't understand. And this goes back to my love for like Richard Donner or even like Tim Burton's Batman is like you do, do not kill the villain in order to defeat the villain. There are many ways you can rise above defeating the villain, like rise above defeating the villain without killing them. Like that's the whole point. It's not that they kill them and that they win. They win because they they stand for their beliefs and their beliefs will not compromise to them, right? One of my favorite right. lines from Star Trek Next Generation is when Picard looks at that gooey monster and he's like, you know what true evil is? True evil. And, and that to me is like why we kind of love like like older be something that challenged you and that in high evolutionary i kind of would have loved for him to survive somehow because it was about it was about overcoming him and like the fact that he was the be all and end all the fear the destroyer like he, he and and rocket even said it best you know it's just this guy felt like so he he uh i can't remember how he said it but he essentially said like this guy saw his perfect world and that's what he wanted. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it's like, why destroy him when you're like preserving and taking people to what you think is may not be a perfect world, but it's one you can live in. Like that's, that should have been the message, but that message didn't happen because he defeated him. He literally killed him. And, and he like, like he explodes on the ship and that's it. But it should have been like, he should have escaped losing and Rocket should have taken, you know, kind of this Noah's Ark moment and like, you know, brought them to a new world because that's what he wanted. And so that to me is like kind of the, again, love this film. This is definitely a return of form for Marvel, but there's some certain things to take away from this that didn't quite land the way I wanted it to. Well, I feel like Rocket wins by sparing him. Mm -hmm. Right, Rocket does have that moment of winning where he's like, "I'm a guardian of the galaxy. I'm not going to kill you." Yeah. Um, so I feel dies. he still like, dies. Yeah, he's, he still gets blown up. I, as far as we know, no, no, he's there's no way. <laughs> I'll be amazed right. if there's some convoluted way he survived that. There's there's no way. You're right. It's very likely he's dead. Um, I will say this though: the movie was. We all went into it feeling like we were going to get a big character death, right? We went into this knowing it's the last chapter, the Guardians are done after this, um, and James Gunn is done after this. We went in anticipating a death of a hero. And even though we actually didn't end up getting that, uh, it, it reminded me of that Simpsons episode where Maud Flanders dies and they were advertising it for weeks beforehand like a character's going to die and everybody knew that going in like somebody's going to get killed and for the whole first act of that episode they kept faking you out where they're at the racetrack and things keep happening and like a tire lands on Lenny and everybody's like oh my god Lenny's dead and Lenny's like no I'm fine everybody keep going and because they know the audience is expecting this thing so they just kept stringing us along until Maude finally bites the dust at the end of act one and I felt like the same thing was happening here because there were a lot of moments in the film that made you think 
we're losing one of the guardians until we don't. Even like as early as at uh, Orgo Corp, uh, Nathan Fillion shoots Drax like twice in the stomach and the music gets really dramatic and Drax is like, run, leave me behind. And I'm like, oh shit, is Drax dying right here? Like, that would be amazing. Like we're like halfway through this movie and we're losing one of the guardians. That's so cool. And then he's on the ship later and he's just fine. He's like, I'm, like, there's not even a mention of like Drax is hurt. Let's put some medicine on him or something. As far just as med pack and erase it, like as yeah, it, yeah. Um, and even Peter Quill going out into space at the end there, like that guy's got brain damage now after that. Um, and some like I thought I was sitting there watching the death of Star Lord, and I'm like, okay, here we go. Star-Lord's you know, dying. it's funny you bring that up too because I did want to mention this, and I, I was afraid I kind of got ahead of myself. That no scream that. Pratt does. You feel it. You feel that. Like you feel every inch of that scream. When Rocket's about to die. Yeah, when Rocket's about to die. Yeah, yeah. And and I love that. I love that. But again, I I do I do appreciate that no one actually really died. You know, I love how close they make it. I do. I but I don't think anyone needed to die. I I there there are ways around it. I know we didn't. Uh, I know he's not a, a favorable subject either, but like I know Whedon would always kill off a character, and I don't think you need to. I, again, it's 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 how far can you stretch the near death and making viewers convinced that they can die. That's and in in Star Lord's case, how far can you stretch his face and make viewers convinced he's about to die? Yeah. Wow. Um, yeah, and uh, you're right. There's no there's no necessity behind the deaths. Like I even thought, I even thought Warlock was going to die at one point. Oh, true. Yeah, that's right. And I was, uh, I was worried because I'm like, no, like we need to keep like Warlock can be a lot of fun if you if you build out a story. But yeah, I was really worried that they were going to do that. He would be a great character to mix in with the Eternals, uh, give them somebody to go up against because he's powerful enough that that can be a thing. He's even better to introduce Silver Surfer and Galactus. Oh yeah. Yeah, he's definitely showing up whenever they show up. Yeah, like, um, there's so much you can do. But yeah, there's a lot of near deaths. Um, but I, I think I, I'm okay with it. I, I don't think anyone needed to die. Um, but that that one moment where Rocket could have gone, I, I was that that that's how you do it. That's how you that's how you do a near death scene. Yeah, that got me, man. That really got me. And uh, every time it happened, like first with Drax, then with Rocket, then with Star Lord. Every time it was happening, I was just like preparing myself. I'm like, okay, this is their death. I'm okay with this. I'm, I'm accepting this. I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. Uh, and speaking of deaths, I'm moving over to our Marvel Memorial Cemetery, which is our tradition here on Infinity Rewatch, where we put characters who died in the cemetery and we talk about what their graves might look like. Mm-hmm. And we have two characters to add here, Ryan. We have the High Evolutionary and Aisha. And, Le- and Lila. Oh, yeah, and Lila. Yeah. Uh, okay, let's put High Evolutionary first. Get him out of the way because he's a big meanie. Yeah, he's, again, one of the darkest villains. Honestly, I'm really surprised they got rid of him because he's a big. He's he's a historically a huge character. My brother talks about him. Like my brother, my brother knows him really well. Yeah, I remember him talking about him too. Yeah. I think when we were talking about uh, Wandavision, he was yeah. talking about the High Evolutionary because he loves that Wonder Gore man. He loves it. He loves mm-hmm. Wonder. Uh, but uh, yeah, surprised. I'm I'm honestly surprised. Um, he's he made a mark though. We're not going to forget him anytime soon. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you think his grave is going to look like? 
uh, <laughs> it's going to be like uh, one small step for man. This is the last step for the evolution. Wow. <laughs> He's, uh, his statue, uh, you can you can take off the face of it, and it's got <laughs> it's all messed up underneath. Yeah. Um, Lila, I think. Lila's is utterly ridiculous. <laughs> utterly ridiculous. Oh, poor Lila. I think she needs to have something about uh, the forever and beautiful sky on her on her epitaph. There, that's got to be a thing. Going for the feels. Mm -hmm. And Aisha, gold plated statue. Gold, yeah, definitely. <laughs> right, that's got to be a thing. And then it's I love gold. <laughs> I love gold. Um. At least we can put loving mother on her tombstone because mm -hmm. she is one. I got this. I think she loves Adam. She cares about Adam. There's a there's a beautiful mom son story there that we didn't get to see uh, between the two of them. Because again, they they needed to close the chapter. They, yes. they didn't they didn't want to expand on it. That's right. And I mean, the movie is a pretty beefy movie in terms of runtime, which is the next thing I want to bring up here. Because uh, we have, if you've been keeping track of us over the years, we have placed bets um, ever since the start of uh, Phase Four. We've been we made bets on the run times of every movie and uh, seeing who gets closest. Right now, Ryan, you have been closer. One, two, three, four, four times. Okay. I have been closer one, two times. Mm. And on Quantumania, we both guessed the exact same time. Yeah. Um, so nobody really won or lost that. But with Guardians Volume 3, it looks like I'm starting to catch up with you, Ryan. Oh, no. You guessed, for the runtime of Guardians Volume 3, you guessed two hours and 23 minutes. I guessed... Two hours, 30 minutes. Damn price is right rules. According to Google, the exact runtime of Guardians Volume 3 is two hours and 30 minutes. Right there's no, there's on the no double, money. There's no double points for getting it almost like accurate. <laughs> We're going to make that a new rule. Triple points. <laughs> Triple points if you get it accurate. No. Ah. That is sweet. And it's it's the longest Guardians movie. And it's strange because to me, I don't know if you felt the same way, but it felt very long, but not in a bad way. Yeah. Throughout the movie, like when we got to the point where we're at the climax, I'm sitting there and thinking, this this is a long movie, but not in a way where I'm like, oh, this is a long movie. Like I was just, I'm in it and I'm like, damn. When Adam Warlock showed up on Nowhere, that was a long time ago. And look yeah. at where we are now. Uh, in, in the best way possible, it rode that length to the best extent. Yeah. I loved it for it. Then then we get the post-credit scenes. Um, and I, I like the first one. It's it's a perfect kind of way to continue the Guardians. You know what uh -huh. I mean? Like, I, I love it. Uh, and just, just to remind people that, like, the Guardians group is still out there. They're still doing their thing. Yeah, uh, and they've introduced Warlock, which is great. They also introduce Quasar. Interesting, because I'm okay. So that girl, right? We're talking about the girl, because 
I know that character's name, but I didn't know she was also Quasar. I know her as Phyla Vell. Yeah. That's that, so she becomes Quasar? She becomes Quasar. Amazing. And she's the one who can go toe-to-toe with Warlock. Amazing. Okay. Um, now, what's interesting is, is she gets cosmic bands that give her the power to do like the Quasar stuff. But in this one, they used High Evolutionary to imbue her with her powers. Right. Yeah, he's got all these star kids who all have the exact same mm. hair. Um, and it, it's, it's cool because in Marvel United, when I get it next year in the new season, um, you, we're getting Phylovel as a playable hero, and we're also getting the male version of Quasar as a playable hero. So I didn't know that Phyla also becomes Quasar, but that's amazing. So, well, if you watched, if you watched, which you did finally, or <laughs> a while back, uh, Avengers: Earth's Mightiest Heroes, Quasar, the Philo one, is in the Guardians episode. Does she? I'm trying to remember. Does she have a sword made out of like light? Yeah, because the miniature in the game is gonna have that, and it's so cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no. So, so it's it's very cool. It's very it's very awesome, and it was a nice nice planting the seed of a character there. So. Who knows when we'll get uh, Quasar, but uh, but it was cool that they put her in there. Phase seventeen. Phase seventeen. <laughs> when when we're seventy, that's when it will happen for sure. And we'll still be doing this, and we'll be like, I thought Ant Man Eight was way better than Ant Man Six because Absolutely. if you compare the way they did the part with the shrinking. And oh, I'm looking forward to that day. I, I, I look forward to that. I, I worry that they'll get to a point when they'll just want to redo one of the older films and just do it better. I, I hope they just continue to do new stories. Just, yeah. just move forward, not backward. Exactly. No, I don't want prequels that rewrite the story and everything. None of that. You've already got a good thing going. Just keep running with it. Yeah. Uh, as Bilbo Baggins would say, no, thank you. We don't want any more well wishes or distant relations. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Uh, and Groot is also gigantic now. He's a yeah, big Yeah, Groot's, Groot's gigantic. Uh, but again, just kind of a background character in this one. Yeah. Despite having presence, he was a very background character. And to be honest, his I love you moment didn't feel it. Yeah, I didn't feel it as half as much as I felt we are Groot. Yeah. Um, and I was kind of hoping the rocket flashbacks would end with him meeting Groot. Yeah. Because uh, we still we still don't know what that meeting was all about. Because um, Groot was, it, it feels like him meeting Groot is the ray of hope that kept him alive. Right. Because he's been, Rocket is an angry, bitter dude. But just look at volume two. He is not a nice person. Even in the video game, he is unpleasant as hell in that game. Yeah. Um, so we see why he's bitter in this film. But I think seeing him meet Groot would have been a cool way to say, like, this is why he's still a good person with a good heart and he hasn't lost hope and he hasn't turned to the dark side because he met somebody like Groot and he has a friend who's, you know, his, his only rock in this world even though he's not a rock but a tree uh i i thought that would have been a sweet thing to see i'm surprised i didn't go there maybe that's a deleted scene perhaps maybe i don't know i didn't I, like i said though i didn't really feel it but again I, i'm glad to see Groot just still growing literally and yeah um but yeah it's 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 again it's nice to know that the guardians are still going now fun fact about the second 
post-credit sequence, mm-hmm. um, is they finally give you the name of his grandfather. And the name of his grandfather is actually the name of his biological father in the comics, which is Jason of Spartax. That's right. Uh, and or Jason Quill. Uh, and uh, and he is like the emperor of space. Like he is he's the government of space. Um, I think Palpatine would have something to say about that. But go on. It's fair. <laughs> but yes, but uh, he he has to work with the Kree. He has to work with the Skrull. But we don't know if that's just a nod or that could be a big thing, especially because he went back to go see his grandfather. Um, could just be just like a nice little full circle moment because the, the first movie he ran from him and now he comes back to him kind of thing. Um, but yeah, but it also kind of puzzles me as to how do you know that, that that's Peter Quill? Like... Like, does he just have that? Does he have that look about him? That's like, oh, clearly this is the grown-up version of the the grandkid I lost, you know, twenty something years ago. Uh, but like, or like, does he know that space, like, is it was he part of space, and that he just decided to settle on Earth, and that's it? But again, like, I don't know if those are just, I, I don't know if those are valid questions, to be honest. Like, I don't know if it's just a moment that we need to just celebrate, and then po- that post moment afterward is the real, the big moment there, but I don't know. Yeah, that's the way I saw it, where it was just, it's not something meant to be overanalyzed. It's just, he gets up from the table, he walks over to him and looks him in the eyes, and it's that familial feeling of like, yeah, that's that's my grandson. It makes sense, because you know he's been thinking about Peter for the past 30 years. Oh, yeah. And and, uh, to look and, you know, maybe he saw some of his daughter in those eyes, right? And that, that is enough to say like, yeah, it's you. Oh my God. And um, there's, there's so much warmth to that, that it doesn't, it it stands on its own two legs, just like that. You don't need any kind of um, stinger or mystery to add to that. It's just them reuniting and then them eating cereal and Peter saying like, yeah, you know, don't, don't mow the lawn. You don't have to mow the lawn. Uh, little moment a lot for you. So the that moment is just a, a nice, sweet moment of saying Star Lord is around. He's on Earth. He's here. And yes, the legendary Star Lord will return. We know he's on Earth now, so we'll probably have to wait till Avengers or something because I can't think the other Earth-based stuff like Thunderbolts, Captain America. I don't see him fitting in. Um. Only, only Kang, uh, uh, Kang Dynasty or Secret Wars. Those are the only two films I can see him being relevant. Yeah, that's about it. Yeah. So it's nice to give him that little bit of peace. Um, but in terms of the other Guardians, I wanted to ask you, is there any Guardian that you feel like... We know we're not going to see Drax anymore because Batista's done. And that's fair. That's, he's, he's in a great place. We can end the story. Same with Gamora. Zoe Saldana's done. Uh, they might recast her but she has finished playing Gamora. But is there a guardian that you feel like you can say, I think I know where and when we'll see them next. Warlock. <laughs> Warlock, fantastic four. Yeah. Hands down. Um, I would, I, I would like to see if you've seen the Avengers or somebody's episode I'm talking about, I would love to see a variation of that with the fantastic four meeting the guardians. Um, it would be too soon to do it in the first film, but you could 
you could just nudge it in there. Um, <laughs> Secret Invasion, you could easily do it there too. Uh, you could, I mean, it might be way too soon, but I think it is. Uh, but yeah, I in the current slate, the closest thing I can think of is maybe Secret Wars because because warlock does have a lot of a lot of stuff to do in that as well um so that could work that's fair i think the that showing up with the fantastic four is definitely up his alley mm -hmm. uh, and i feel like the one other character who depending on how they introduce silver surfer because there was talk about having him have his own special right which would be awesome that would be great and if he does have his own special i think that's a perfect place for mantis to come back because she's off doing her soul searching she's got these things with her these wrath tar things i don't know what they are yeah. um but he's out in space she's out in space and i feel like the two of them would have a fun dynamic where she could be like why are you made of metal strange man and uh i don't know how they're gonna play the silver surfer's personality uh because from what i gather he's very similar to warlock like just a very overly serious kind of guy so it'll be interesting to see what they do with him but he seems like the kind of guy that would be fun to play off of mantis but he would he would accentuate more curiosity um yes. if you watch the if you watch the 90s fantastic four cartoon there's an episode that that that's focused on the silver surfer and he and he's it's a famous comic book scene they reference but it's a scene where he's talking about how the lion is misunderstood in, in nature. Um, and they're like, do they look at you as a savage beast or do they look at you as someone who's protecting? And like, there's, there's kind of a curiosity in trying to empathize uh, about the character. Uh, that's really interesting to watch. Um, and that's kind of Silver Surfer's real gem about his character is, is how he, perceives things with understanding and, and compassion and and just this naive thing naive curiosity about him um but yeah i would love to see more of that for sure yeah it fits it fits and we know silver surfer's coming he's coming down the pipeline sooner or later mm -hmm. uh well ryan it's time to rate guardians of the galaxy volume three and before we do, real quick, because we never answered the question, but I'm going to answer it now. Alex has asked right at the beginning of our show, thoughts on Howard the Ducks cameo. Do oh. you think he should be given his own MCU show? No, I don't think he should. Uh, and I'll tell you why. And it's not because I don't want to see him. I think he's a fun character where you could do like the Simpsons McBain thing where you just give him small scenes that eventually add up into one big movie. And I think that would be your Howard the Duck moment. I like that a lot. I'm still waiting for... Uh, Fox to make a full length McBain movie. <laughs> I want that so badly. I know you do. McBain! Fortunately, I Arnold's too old now, but it would have been worth it. <laughs> it would have been amazing. So, you know the deal. We rate movies here on, uh, we rate movies and shows here on a scale of zero infinity stones to six infinity stones. And you can also take it up to an Infinity Gauntlet if you like it even more. And Ryan totally changed the game by adding two Infinity Gauntlets once upon a time. Two Infinity Gauntlets, where? <laughs> two big snaps right there. Um, huh. Do you want to go first or do you want me to go first? Um, I have mine ready, so I'll go first if you need okay. a minute. I have settled on giving this film 
six infinity stones. I think that's a, a beautiful place to put it. If you want, hold on, I can let you know what you gave the others. Oh no, uh, I know what I'm gonna give this movie. I don't need to know what I gave Okay. Um, but six stones felt right to me. I thought it was awesome. Um, I think there's little little bits and things that could have gone different ways that might have ended up telling an even greater story, but there's nothing in here that I don't like. There's nothing in here that I don't like. And I'm even going to go an extra mile here, Ryan. And I'm going to say, not only do I give this six full infinity stones, but I am officially canonizing for Andrew, at least I'm canonizing this. And you will know what I'm talking about, Ryan, because you have read this book. You have read ready player one. I am officially saying that guardians of the galaxy has become one of my holy trilogies. Wow. That's bold. That's bold. Mm -hmm. It is uh, just an excellent trilogy through and through that I love to pieces. And Hollywood has made quite a few of those, but it's rarer than you think. So Guardians um, takes that spot and stands up on the shoulders next to uh, many, many other giant things like Star Wars and Lord of the Rings for me. Couldn't agree more. Um, I actually was going in with Six Stones myself. Uh, well, uh, and that's because I agree with you. This, it's not a flawless movie. It has some small flaws, but it's not enough to to close the fact that this is a huge milestone movie. It's a, it's the ending of a trilogy, uh, and especially uh, again, it's it's been you know the first one was a long time ago. The first movie was a long, long time. Yes, ago. it was nine years ago. Yeah, it's it's almost yeah almost a decade, right? So it's it was some time ago. Um, and you know it's it's a journey you grow up with these characters uh and and there's kind of a beauty to that that you can't put a, you can't really what's the word you can't really manufacture that so you, no. it's something that comes with investment and this movie paid off in the end it, it was a big big payoff it's a big journey and i i couldn't have been happier to experience it um and like i said it's not it's not flawless but it's still great and and it's what's what I love about it too is like you know James Gunn got to finish his work, which is huge. You know, it's nice when someone gets to. It's nice when someone knows when to exit or gets the opportunity to exit and say, "I've told my story, no more, no less," and then you know go on to other things. And that's exactly what he's done, and he's off to uh, he's off to DC now. And I, I I'm looking very forward to seeing how he's going to reboot this whole thing. In fact, it's the only reason why I want to see flash is how is this thing going to reboot? And, uh, and, and yeah, it's, it's, it's this guardians was fun. And he found a, he found a diamond in a very big rough and told an amazing story. So if every artist got to do what James Gunn got to do, the world would be such a better place. If every artist got their chance to be like, this is the story I want to tell as long as it takes me to tell it, here it is. For everyone to enjoy. Yep. That's the kind of world we need to live in. That's why the uh, the WGA needs fair wages, people, right? End the strike by giving the writers fair wages. That's right. We're getting political now. I don't care. Yeah. No, exactly, man. Don't, uh, you know, this is not the first time this happened. And then look what mm -hmm. happened when you gave the writer fair wages. We we lived in the probably arguably one of the best 
times of content ever. Mm -hmm. You know what happened before all this good content? It was nothing but reality shows. Nothing but reality. And then after that, kicked off Game of Thrones. So, yeah. Pay your damn writers, Hollywood. Pay them well. And you thank them for the wonderful content we've enjoyed for the last, what, 10 years? Have you seen, like, yeah, it was um, for uh, since the last strike? Yeah. Um, 2008 or seven. when we were in school. Is what We were in school together when yeah, that, so when it, the I think it was out. seven, two, two, 2007, because it yeah. was Quantum of Solace. That's the famous movie that the writer's strike really just kind of dogpile on top of. Um, but you know the, the the picketers, they have like the blank signs and they've been writing on them. And they're all writers, so they're all really clever. I saw a really funny one. Uh, the internet's full of them right now, but I saw a really great one that said, um, <laughs> without writers, every movie would be Star Wars Episode Nine. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, it's good. Oh, uh, man, that's so good. The writers are, there's so many shots fired in these signs. It's like, I hope somebody makes a coffee table book of these signs one day because they are fantastic that's that's really funny it's really funny <laughs> ryan where can the good people find you when you're not cavorting the galaxy in search of cosmo the space dog for now you can find me on uh whew, man yeah no a lot's changed since the last time i streamed oh. <laughs> sorry. uh right now you can find me on expert zone so if you type in youtube.com forward slash expert zone that is where my job uh, where I do YouTube videos for my job, uh, and it's fantastic. It's a lot of fun. My team does a lot of great work. So please show your support uh, by checking out our content on there. Awesome. And you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and Facebook at Andrew Fantasia, uh, where I am just desperately plugging my new fantasy novels, uh, We Were Wizards, uh, because they're a lot of fun. And if you like fun and, and colorful magic and things like that, and you probably do because you're watching a podcast or listening to a podcast by Guardians of the Galaxy. You're going to love We Were Wizards. Uh, it has been my child. I've been working on this story since high school. And there's two books out right now with many more to come. And you can get them on Amazon. Search uh, for We Were Wizards on Amazon. And it's an hardcover paper book, paper book, paperback, and e-book. So, Brian, thank you so much for joining me on this wonderful talk of Guardians 3. Uh, we're going to be back sooner than you think because it's only like a month till uh, Secret Invasion. That's right. Uh, but sh- it's a secret. That's right. I can't tell you. I mean, I mean, there's no more Marvel ever. That's, <laughs> that's what I meant to say. Yeah. Uh, but until the next time you see us here, everybody, please have a marvelous day. <laughs> <laughs>